Hey, it's Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting, and welcome to another episode of Founders and Friends. And before we start the podcast, let's give a quick shout out to Rippling. Rippling is the new cool payroll tool that we see a lot of startups using. Rippling is great for your traditional HR and payroll. They integrate very nicely. But guess what? They did another thing. They integrate into your IT infrastructure. They make it really easy for when you hire someone to spin up all the web services and their computer, which sounds kind of like not a huge deal. But actually, we did the study at Cruise. We spend $420 on average just getting a new employee's computer up and running and their web service up and running. It's actually a really big deal. It saves a lot of money. And, and the dogs are eating the dog food. Like We see a lot of startups coming in to Cruise now using Rippling. So please check out Rippling. Great service. We love it. I think we have a podcast with Parker Conrad. You can hear it from his own words, but we're seeing them take market share. So shout out to Rippling. And now to another awesome podcast at Cruise Consulting's Founders and Friends. Thanks. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise. Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty Orn. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And today, my very special guest is Kelsey Chase of Omni. Welcome, Kelsey. Hi, Scott. Thank you very much. Excited to, to talk today. Ah, thanks, man. Well, we've been friends for a while. You, you know, I have the venture capital background and I work at Cruise. And you have like a product or a service that's like right in my sweet spot. So I really wanted to have you on the podcast. because I think what you guys are doing is really amazing. Um, and maybe you can start off by just talking about what you guys do and how you had the idea for the business. Sure, absolutely. I think to to lead into that that question and answer, I'd just maybe give a, a high level overview of my background. So I started my career as a corporate attorney with Wilson Sonsini, um, of course, the big you know startup law firm in the Bay Area, and worked there for a, a couple of years representing venture backed. Um, entrepreneurs and the, the businesses they're working on, and um, also spent some time working at DLA Piper, where I, you know, the typical Wilson client base is startup companies, and moved over to DLA and started representing more investors, and worked with traditional venture capital funds, some corporate VCs, family offices, high net worth individuals, and really just got a, a became an expert in the ways that venture investing. And venture capital transactions were structured. So, hold myself out as a as a venture deal lawyer, and got some experience at, at some of the best firms out there. And so, from from that experience, well, you, you know what's amazing about that though, too, is that you've seen the startup side of it. You've seen both sides. So, you know, the poor founder who's never done a financing before, you've helped them through the process, and then you've helped the the venture capital fund that's done five hundred financing. You know both sides of the story. Yeah, I, I definitely like to say I've seen sort of all sides of the table. But I think my my take on, on that and just all the deals I've worked on is the the, tur- the, the table is is more of an oval than like a rectangle. And, you know, these <laughs> it's, it's, it's very collaborative, honestly, between most almost all of the deals I worked on were, were usually at that stage, very collaborative among the investors and the founders and even counsel on both sides. And of course, you know, it gets contentious at times. But just being in the startup ecosystem at that point, once an investor and a founder have, have made a match to where they're actually putting their, you know, their deal to documents and having lawyers involved, um, usually a pretty good partnership is forming at that point. And I'm sorry I interrupted you. So you've got both sides of the of the oval. You know exactly what's going on. And then that set the stage for the next phase of your career? It did. So my 
I co-founded Omni with a colleague of mine from Wilson Sensini, former colleague, uh, Tony Lewis. So Tony is also a deal lawyer, has some experience um, in M&A as well as in the back office of a VC fund, which will come into play talking about Omni. But uh, Tony and I were, I think, got some great experience at the firms, but just always had an entrepreneurial itch. And we got together about two years ago and just started started really discussing and brainstorming ideas around the venture capital space and just what we had seen as, as deal lawyers working at these big firms. And from that really came uh, a revelation of some, some obvious pain points that we had seen in the venture capital space, both from my experience as a deal lawyer representing the entrepreneurs raising money and the investors making investments, and then Tony's experience working in the back office of a fund. And so from that, uh, we created Omni, and that's A-U-M-N-I. Uh, it's a play on assets under management and then uh, omniscient, so it's Omni. And we set out to develop a web-based application that analyzes and extracts the most critical legal, financial, and economic terms and rights out of the underlying legal agreement that you know represent all of these VC deals. So and in essence, that's what we do. We go into the deal documents, and we pull out all this critical data, which is now sits on a structured database that then powers this, this amazing dashboard uh, that sits on the cloud. And that dashboard is what folks like me or people that work at a venture capital fund consume. And it's beautiful. Like your guys' design and the way you've organized all the information is so nice. Like I think when we first met, I told you that at Lighthouse, we had these gigantic spreadsheets and it was just a maze. And at any given time, no one knew what had been marked up and what hadn't been marked up or what needed to be written down. It was just like the classic, who knows, it's all buried in a spreadsheet somewhere. So that's this is the reason I love what you guys are doing. It's all there in a really simple and easy to consume dashboard. Yeah, absolutely. And we, it's not so much portfolio management is what Omni does, but it's really portfolio intelligence. And the first thing that we we realized as Tony and I were growing this company is the bulk of the market still uses a sheet-based technology to track their portfolio. And that's, you know, small funds, large funds, medium funds, corporate funds. Um, they're all by and large leveraging some sort of tool like Google Sheets or Excel. And so what we, you know, what we learn is that these investments are just so rich in economic and legal rights and data and there's only so much that you can do, as you mentioned, Scott, with an Excel spreadsheet and just the, the amount of effort that it is required to keep that thing up to date and the amount of institutional knowledge that really has to go into to keeping that thing polished. And so Omni does have a function of portfolio management and there are aspects of what we do that will wholesale, you know, replace things that funds are using Excel for. But again, the essence of what we do is we pull out this critical data from your underlying legal agreements and because every data point ties back to your contract, it is really audit grade data that funds can rely on, their service providers can rely on. And ultimately we think that, you know, the whole market will eventually move to rely on as well. Yeah. That's the beauty of your business is that you're creating a giant network effect because, and you know, if, if someone's done a deal with X, Y, and Z startup, and then the next round comes in, and there's 10 investors. I mean, you guys, in a way, are have a really incredible view over Silicon Valley and, and the entire tech ecosystem because once that one deal gets marked up in a, in a next round, 
that's flowing through to the database and the in the uh, console for all the other venture capital funds that are in that investment, right? Yeah, we've really set up a, a really powerful network, exactly as you described. The venture industry is is a by its function is really like a a lot of these fundraises are party rounds, and it is not atypical that a any Series A, Series B, C, D round has anywhere from ten could have up to 50 different unique investors in the round. And so what Omni does is we've created you know, software to really leverage that network so that co-investors that share a portfolio company can actually benefit from the Omni network and you know, have access to the same audit grade data. It makes a huge difference. Maybe you can walk the audience because the people who listen to this podcast are super startup people. Maybe walk them through kind of the things that Omni captures and how you display that in the dashboard. I mean, they're obviously probably going to go to your site while they're listening to this, but maybe just kind of walk them through some of those key terms that need to be captured and how you show that. Sure. There, there's a couple I would, uh, I can definitely talk about many of them. We're, we're pulling out tons of, you know, tons of data because the, the truth is uh, if any entrepreneur that's listening is, has raised venture capital funding before, you know that your rights are represented in hundreds of pages of, of dense legal agreements. And so, you know, probably unless the, the founder has experience doing this or even legal background, it's really a tall order to even understand or track what's, what's existing in those agreements. And the same problem is true for the investors too. Um, just really dense, complex agreements that have lots of moving pieces in them. And so we go in and analyze that data. And then one example of a right, I'll pick on one that actually our investors care greatly about but the founders have interest in caring about this too, is qualified small business stock. So mm, we get asked about that a lot too, because yeah, we're a tax firm. Exactly. So keep going. Hope my, as I say that, Scott, my guess is maybe half, maybe more than half of the entrepreneurs have no idea what that even means. Maybe some do. Um, but the, yeah, I think it's only the ones that get tipped off by their lawyer ask us that. Um, but it does apply to a lot of the companies that are getting funded. There's some thresholds. You can, why don't you cover it and I'll chime in, but, but explain it to the audience. Yeah. So it's, it's really a, there's, there's this tax advantaged tax rule, not in the internal revenue code. So it's federal tax law that provides this amazing benefit for holders of, you know, something the code calls qualified small business stock. So to meet that, there's a whole host of tests, but basically if you're a startup, and this is not legal advice, but if you're a startup and you have less than 50 million of assets and you haven't son done certain disqualifying events, then shares you issue can be you can benefit from quali being qualified small business stock. And it does have huge, huge tax savings implications for the holders, which tend to be venture investors uh, in these early stage rounds. And so to do that, however, there you know there's certain things that the entrepreneur, the company has to comply with to maintain the status. And so to protect the investor, there's usually two, two hooks, two prongs that get negotiated in a typical venture round. The first is that there's a, something called a qualified small business stock. And I'll, I'll use the QSBS acronym. So QSBS representation that the company makes to the investors, which essentially says, I'm, you know, I'm selling you Scott series A shares and I'm representing to you that I've maintained the status as a qualified a small business and the shares that you hold are therefore qualified small business stock and companies making a representation in a legal document that the investor is relying on. So that's one of the hooks. Um, the second is that there are ongoing covenants that 
the company will, and the investors will typically ask the company to agree to in, in, in their venture agreement. So the covenant will say something to the effect of, you know, the company will use best efforts, reasonable efforts to maintain this stock as qualified small business stock. So those are two prongs and example of two data points that Omni just extracts, you know, right out of the agreements. And we bring that information to light for an investor across their entire portfolio. So they can quickly get a matrix of their qualified small business stock coverage and then start to really model out, you know, what is their tax exposure? How much savings could they have upon certain exit events, et cetera. You explained that perfectly and it is like a huge tax advantage. So we do get asked about that quite a bit. And we kind of recommend to our clients that they be careful about what they promise on that because sometimes investors will ask them to rep that it is a qualified small business stock. And we're careful about asking our uh, our clients to rep that because there's a lot of things that can trip that, especially like funding sizes and things like that. So, But it's a really powerful term and that's awesome. Do you guys track it? I mean, I'm sure you track like things like liquidation preferences, participating preferred, stuff like that too, right? Yeah, we, we definitely track, we track the common, you know, common economics in the round. So exactly the liquidation preference, the valuation, um, size of the option pool, the, you know, the investor syndicate and how much of the company the investors end up purchasing and, and how the various classes within the investor base are split up. So if there's multiple classes of preferred, we track how, you know, the investor's ownership across those various classes. So that, that I would all put in the bucket of, of economics from the transaction. And then we also, you know, just being a company that was founded by two lawyers, we do go very granular on the legal rights. So another fun one that uh, I can almost, you know, with a lot of confidence say most investors are not tracking in any sort of granular detail are, are the types of protective provisions that a company is signing up to. And just to a quick blurb on what, what the heck protective provisions are, um, these are you know, either affirmative or negative covenants that the company is, is signing up to. So essentially things the company can and cannot do without the investor's written approval. Mm-hmm. Like things like send a ton of money to a foreign subsidiary without approval? Yeah. and Or sell the company without approval? Yeah. That kind of stuff? Right. And, and the, for the, the transactional folks, you know, know that most of these deals are put together on the National Venture Capital Association form, the NVCA form. And so I know one restriction that just got added to the standard form was uh, the ability to, to play in the cryptocurrency space. The last you know, four or five years, you, you probably saw a, a fair amount of startups kind of pivot into that space where they may have raised money on some other idea before that. Absolutely. And we are not allowed to work with crypto companies because of some of the regulatory risk and insurance risks for us. So I, that's, I totally get why investors would care about that. One of my favorite ones is not being, I, I find that it's a very smart protective provision that sometimes entrepreneurs don't realize is oftentimes there'll be a vote as a share class to approve a transaction, like selling the company. And that's designed to protect kind of the newest money in oftentimes who came in at the highest valuation. They don't want the company getting sold for, you know, 2X, whatever the valuation is. They want 3 or 4X. And so they have the right to uh, not approve a transaction as a share share class, like the Series C or Series D. And entrepreneurs don't always know that. So they think they're negotiating a deal that's going to be good enough for everybody, but it's really only good enough for the early investors. Right. So that's something that's something I can really see being valuable. And, and you know, especially if you're like a, a Series B or Series C fund, 
having that data through Omni at your fingertips is really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you, you hit on some major legal, you know, legal rights that we track and that is certainly around, you know, ownership and control. So yeah, the certain events that require certain stockholder base, uh, investor base approvals, oftentimes, especially with, with funds leading rounds, it's not, it's not really a class. It's actually a specific investor has, has the sole blocking right. So a lead, you know, pick your favorite top Sand Hill lead, Series A lead that comes in. Uh, not uncommon that, you know, that Andreessen or NEA may have just a specific blocking right on certain activities. Um, so that's, that is all, you know, all information that we look at and, and whether you are the lead or whether you're, you're a minority seed investor that is interested in the company later on, you know, just understanding where the, the voting blocks and the control blocks are is, can be pretty important. I, I totally agree. And, and for folks who don't know, like I, unfortunately I was the, uh, I was nominated to be the, the head of compliance at Lighthouse. So I have like all this experience in the nitty gritty of kind of the back office of a fund. The, before Omni, the way you would answer a question around a company, whether they had, you know, an investor had blocking rights or a share class had blocking rights or things like that, was you would literally run down the hall and ask the head of ops to pull out like the the file or you'd be searching madly through a Dropbox or box folder trying to find the share pur- purchase agreement and trying to skim that and control F and control find. And it was a total disaster. It was really, really hard to know what terms were in each deal. And there, even like the fact that we had all these giant Excel, we were like a very organized firm. Like we actually did things the right way because we were regulated and had to be have a good compliance organization. But like even then, it's just hard to find information and to be able. I really want to s- stress that this is pretty revolutionary to be able to go into a web app and just type in a company and see exactly what you own and what your protective provisions are. It's really powerful. Yeah, you said that perfectly, Scott. And the other point I would emphasize is that Omni is a is a white glove offering. So we do all of that analysis and extraction on your behalf. So our tagline is it's as simple as sharing your, your closing agreements with us. And then that, that allows us to kick off and start analyzing your investments. And you really get the out of the box um, experience with all the data populated in there. It's really amazing. Now, let me ask you this, who loves you more? Is it the GPs? Is it the the companies? Or is it the back office folks at the venture capital funds? I got. It. I think everyone probably likes you, but is it the? I, my suspicion is the back office people just absolutely love you. Yeah, we we've got a lot of advocates in the in the back office. Uh, work directly with a number of, of CFOs or VP of finance, uh, several general counsels and AGCs, and yeah, we we really address pain points that they're you know they're dealing with on a day to day basis. So you know, helping the back office off quite a, uh, quite a bit. And, you know, also the application does have front office capabilities too, but the, the folks that are, you know, really kind of managing the portfolio and trying to understand, you know, like you said, running down the hall to get answers to these questions, that, it, that tends to be right now the, the finance and legal professionals at these funds. Yeah, I mean, you make their life so much easier. No one loves the fire drill. And those people are, for folks who don't know kind of the, the CFOs and head of ops at funds, they're they're totally overworked. They have too, way too much going on. And because they've, they're have they in the deal business and support the deal people, it's it's almost big being a lawyer at an outside firm or being investment banking. Like they have to jump when something's happening or there's a crisis or they're just really pushing to get a deal done. Because in venture capital, like everything's competitive. Until you get that term sheet signed and even until you close the deal, 
something, you know, for a very attractive company, something could go off the rails and you could lose it to a competitor. So everyone at these funds is working really, really hard. So, so making their life easier is just, it's just incredibly valuable. Yeah, folks definitely, definitely work hard. And just some of the you know, top professionals, I think in the private capital markets are working at these funds and I've got a you know, met a lot of amazing people along the way. And I think that's, that's definitely right. They, they do have a tall order uh, managing large, complex, inherited portfolios. You know, the, the space does have quite a bit of, of change and, and turnover too. So there's, you know, you have professionals walking into funds that may have just a legacy portfolio with, you know, who knows where the documents or the information or the trackers even are. So we can really come in. I think another value proposition that we bring to the table is just codifying a firm's institutional knowledge, you know, into a, into a software application. So basically, you know, trying to just bring together the firm's entire knowledge base into one place so that you really just help communication, collaboration, and access to key information. I totally agree. Because for folks who don't know, a venture capital fund will, will always run 10 years, sometimes like 12 or 15 years, depending on how many extensions happen in the fund. And so when you're stacking, you know, three, four or five funds over a 10 or 15 year period, it gets pretty crazy. And so, and these portfolios typically have a lot of, custom, uh, a lot of investments in them. Like at Lighthouse, we'd have over a hundred investments in each portfolio. So like you're right about that institutional knowledge. It can slip away very easily. And even the people who have been there for a long time, it's hard to remember, you know, the third investment in fund three, you just, there's just too much going on to remember the stuff. So kudos to you folks for figuring this out. You know, not to what I, what I think you also do really well is just, just being able to access legacy data. I know initially it may seem like the value is on the active portfolio, the companies that are doing well now, but we, we think the more data, the better and giving you a full picture of a fund's life cycle through if it's a legacy fund and they may have, you know, they may be on fund 10 understanding the decisions and the data from those earlier funds. We just want to give maximum data and flexibility of, of accessing that data to the customers. And I, I think seeing the whole picture versus just the current picture, I know we're finding that there's there can be meaningful insights from from just seeing how early funds invested and, and how those early companies that they invested in are are now performing or how they, you know, how they went. Well, I totally agree. And I think a lot of that comes into play during fundraising. Yeah. Cause that's when it's incredibly valuable, especially when you're looking at like vintages and different economic environments. And sometimes like one of the questions we would always get asked during financing um, or raising a new fund at Lighthouse was, you know, how did you do in your bad, bad vintages? And what were the ones that moved the levers or how many losses or how many write-offs did you have during those times? And so the fact that we were able to say like, hey, actually we made money even in like the 2000 fund, you know, was incredibly powerful for our prospective LPs. And I think you're, you know, you're bringing that data to bear for all the funds. Now, for some funds, they're just so good and their track records. Like Sequoia probably doesn't get asked that question because they are just everyone is probably feeling pretty blessed to be an investor in a fund like right. that. But for most of Sand Hill and most of the top VCs in New York and Salt Lake, you know, you've got to prove it. You got to bring data and and sell and get that fund closed, you know, sell your investors. So having all this at their, at their access is very, very helpful. Yeah. And, and so we work at Omni, we work with, we work with funds across the entire market. So first time startup funds, micro funds, middle tier funds, and, and, you know, some of the marquee names in on Sand Hill road. And what I would say for the, the startup and early funds is what Omni brings to their fundraising story is a feeling of being institutional grade. 
So that proof of concept fund, we have micro funds that signed up with Omni because it made them appear institutional grade so that when they go out and try to raise fund two, they're very thorough and, and organized around the performance of, of fund one and can have quick access to, you know, to data and information so that if they are trying to bring in some, some larger LPs in the next one, they just feel that much more professional and ready to do it. It's really smart. You guys have done a really good job. I'm really excited for you. This is, is really cool. Well, what are some of the, you know, as we kind of head towards the end here, what are some of the new things you guys are working on and, and where do you want to take the company? Yeah, it's um, a great question. We are a startup, so the answer may change um, as we we, we ship ship <laughs> or, and shape. But, uh, but sometimes the answer is everything. Yeah, uh, that's uh, those are the moments where I know I'm in trouble when I say that. I need to pair it back, right? Because we're a startup too. Yeah. So, but yeah, what are what are you most excited about? That's probably the question I should be asking. Yeah. You. So all, all things, you know, all joking aside, we are very focused, and we we feel like we really have found our niche and being experts in the underlying legal agreements. And so you can ex expect Omni to do a lot more with that. And what we've done to date is, is, is we are great at analyzing legacy investments, investments that have already happened. And I think where you can expect us to go is even deeper on the analytics and data from those investments. And then also what we want to do is thrust ourselves into the, into the investment making decision for deals that haven't yet closed. So live deals, um, I think you can expect Omni to, to be a really valuable partner as funds are considering investments and trying to analyze those complex legal agreements before they, they cut the check or send the wire. I love it. I look forward to the day where you're like a default item on the due diligence checklist. In fact, the cruise consulting due diligence checklist is on our website. I will add the Omni diagnostic onto that checklist. So everyone yes. knows they should be using you guys before a round closes. That's certainly our vision, Scott, is we, we think we will become the standard for venture investing and we'll be the source of data and truth around these, these complex docs. And uh, we're, we're really excited to tackle the issue and, and feel very confident in what we're, you know, what we're trying to build here. I love it. I love it. Well, thanks so much for coming by. Can you give a quick little recap of what Omni does and then also tell folks where they can find you on the, on the web and maybe how to get a hold of you and no pressure on giving out your cell phone number. Email is probably totally cool or just, just the website. Yeah. So I, you can find me at Kelsey, K-E-L-S-E-Y at Omni, A-U-M-N-I dot fund, F-U-N-D. So Kelsey at Omni dot fund. Um, our website is also Omni dot fund, www.omni dot fund. And yeah, Omni's here. We are the, the experts in analyzing uh, complex legal agreements and pulling out the most important legal, financial, and economic data out of those and doing doing it in a, in a really an audit grade fashion. I love it. I've been talking and following you guys since you were a two person company. And I'm really thrilled at your success. Kudos to you and Tony. And uh, many, many, many good days ahead. I'm really excited just to, to be in your world and, uh, and hopefully be a customer pretty soon. And congrats on all your success. Yeah, thanks a lot, Scott. This has been great. Cool. All right, Kelsey. Take care, everybody. Right. Bye -bye. Thanks. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise. Founders and friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and friends with your host, Scotty Oh.